listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So for the last two and a half chapters, John has been kind of laying out some things. We might call them like confidence builders or marks or tests of how do we know that we are in fellowship with God. And we saw that it begins uh, in faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. And that's how it starts. But how do we know that we have fellowship, ongoing fellowship with God? And the first thing we saw I would call it like the test of love, that if we love God, it's seen in how we love other people. And if we love other people, it's because of our love for God. And then the last two weeks, we've looked at the test of obedience. And this is how I said it, that we have to constantly remind ourselves and to preach and to teach to ourselves that no matter what is happening, God is for me. Therefore, whatever he asks, That's the best thing for me. And he talked about the test of obedience. Well, today is going to be, I would call it the test of perseverance. Or as we often say, stay in the boat. It's this test of staying the course even when enemies are around. And today we are going to see this. We are going to see John come face to face with some enemies. Some are going to be unseen, but some will be in the flesh. And he's going to tell us right off the bat, he's going to talk about the warning of do not be deceived. So I got to thinking, have you ever been deceived? Have you ever been uh, doped into something? And one of my favorite pastimes takes this to the extreme. Uh, Guys like Charlie Crum, I'm now into duck hunting. I love it. And it's all about deceiving. I mean, you get up really, really early. It's really cold. You put on your waders and you go stand in the water. I know it sounds a lot of, like a lot of fun so far. But it's all about deceiving. You put up fake animals. Uh, you buy a call that's supposed to sound like them. But you can't just lay any decoy out there and just let it sit. You've got to be some motion. There's all kinds of things. But it's all about deceiving this animal, the duck. But then I remember when I was young, collecting baseball cards like most kids do. Neighbor kid came down the street, was older than me, and had some cards. And he traded me for a plastic a baseball helmet, probably the kind that you buy ice cream out of at ball games. And so I thought I was getting a great deal till my dad found out, put me in the car, drove me back in, and got my cards back. Well, then, just uh, maybe a month ago, Marla calls me. She says, hey, uh, I'm about to have a felony arrest warrant out for me. I go, what have you done now, woman? We get to reading, and it said something about we need your social security number. If not, we're going to issue a felony warrant. We knew something was wrong, but there are people that have given into that and, and fall in and get deceived. Uh, but being the, the smart kid that I was, I remember a guy named Robert Woolsey. Robert was older, and uh, we were going to hang out at a kind of a big pool one afternoon and riding in the back of his dad's truck in lawn chairs back when you could do that. And we're riding in lawn chairs, and I remember I cracked my knuckles, and he convinced me that I had 24 hours to live. Because I had cracked my knuckles. I mean, we were planning my funeral and everything, fully deceived. And so I never trusted Robbie ever after that. But then, I mean, just thinking, it's hard to believe it's been 20 years now. 
since the big Enron scandal where millions of people were deceived uh, out of money. Or maybe you know someone and they presented themselves in some way and you find out they aren't at all who they were saying they would be. Well, I think there's a lot of deception. Some will break your heart, some can break your mind, and some can even break your bank account. But spiritual deception that we are going to see today is the worst kind because it can crush your spirit. And John is going to shout this warning as loud as he can. Because look at verse 18. He uses that term he's been very familiar with. He's his children. He loves them. He cares for them. He wants the best for them. And he says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And so John is making two bold claims here. First of all, twice he says, it is the last hour. But how in the world can this be the last hour when John wrote this over 1,900 years ago? That's a lot of hours. In fact, I added it up, and it's like over seven or 17 million hours. That's a lot of last hours. But what did John is talking about? He's not talking about hours like the hands on a clock. He's not talking about a, a duration of time. He's talking about a kind of time. In fact, we have been in the very last hour since the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, all time since that moment is the preparation for the end when Jesus will come and establish his kingdom. So John can say it is the last hour because there is nothing else that God must do for the salvation of sinners. It's all completed. There's nothing else that God must do for salvation of sinners. So the last hour, it began in John's time with the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, and it has been growing in intensity ever since. Well, then twice he uses this word, Antichrist. In fact, if you see, he says, you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And it is this word, this word anti means against or instead of. And notice how he uses it. In one way, he uses the singular. But then another way, he uses the plural. So is there one antichrist or is there many? In fact, John is the only New Testament writer to use this term. You see it here. You'll see it in chapter 4. And then if you turn to 2 John 7, he will use this term. And he uses it to describe really three different things. One, he will use to describe the spirit in the world that opposes or it denies Christ. You could call it the spirit of the Antichrist. And it began, you see it back in Genesis 3, when uh, Satan declared war on God. In fact, we looked at it just last week. So we can talk about the spirit in the world that opposes or it denies Christ, the spirit of the Antichrist. But in a second way, it's this idea of any false teacher. Anyone that is proclaiming or denies Christ in their teaching is a false teacher, and they are called Antichrist. But then third one, the one we're probably most familiar with, is the person who will finally lead the last rebellion, the final rebellion against Christ that we read about in the book of Revelation. 
So John begins with the Antichrist, or just as Antichrist is coming. And what he's talking about is that final ruler who will one day arrive on the scene in the end times that we read about in Revelation, that is Satan incarnate. And this person, he will rise to such power and have so much charisma that the world will follow him. And John says, even back then, 1900 years ago, he is coming. We don't know when, but he is coming. Well, then he says, and so now many antichrists have come. And that's the second illustration that John is going on. This idea of false teachers, false prophets that pretend to be believers, that are presenting themselves as Christians, but absolutely not. And what we see is since we're only 40 years since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and there's already false teachers. There's already false prophets, and they have been continuing ever since. So here's what we have. In Genesis 3, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work when Satan declared war on God. Since then, people that have been influenced by this spirit and are false teachers will finally lead to the final day, the final Antichrist, Satan incarnate, that will lead the final rebellion against God. So when John sees all of this, it brings him to the place to say, it is the final hour. But we have to be careful. And this is John's warning. He's going to say, be careful, be alert, beware. Because I got to thinking, have you ever known one? Or maybe you were one at a time. Or you fell into this false teaching and, you were led down a path or you watched someone fall into deceit. And here's why this happens. I can remember being in Arkansas when my dad was a pastor there. And there was a couple in the church. The husband was a deacon, very, very faithful. All of a sudden, she just stopped attending. I remember one day, I don't know if I overheard, as pastor's kids tend to do sometimes, uh, or if I eventually asked. But she got to reading in, I'm not for sure what the book was, but some kind of mystic novel that led her away from the church and eventually away from Christ. But here's why this is so dangerous. is because Satan is good at what he does. He is crafty and he is a master at creating and using counterfeits and fakes. And so here's four reasons for you why Satan is so good. One, we need to understand he is completely committed to this. He is a master of deception. Not only is he a liar, Scripture says he is the father of lies. In fact, for the last three weeks, we've been looking at these weapons that Satan uses, and he is very good at them. In fact, he's had years to perfect this. Another reason is he is a master of disguise. With supernatural powers, he can take any lie and make it look like the truth. Where it will seem plausible, probable, and even provable. And he is good at it. He can take something that can make it look so close to the truth. And then it got me to thinking, I've only seen one counterfeit bill in my life. Had a friend, ended up with a counterfeit 20. And I remember looking at this and going, there's no way I would ever be able to tell this until he put a real 20 up next to it that you could notice the difference of the two. But Satan is a master of disguising himself 
and false doctrines and making them look and seem like the truth. But another thing is he's really good at is he will go after a person that's a thinker. He will get into their mind and he will use rationale and he will use reason to deceive them. But if that doesn't work, he'll go after a person's emotions. But another thing I see about this is that Satan, he uses people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, it tells us, So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They're masters at that. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So since Satan can't be everywhere, since he's not omnipresent like God, he uses people. And in my time, you notice, you know what I've noticed? You can't hardly turn the TV on without finding a false teacher or a false prophet nowadays. But you know what I noticed about almost all of them? They are gifted communicators. They're very talented. They are full of charisma. They are so likable. You know what I think they're also very good at? They're good at making people feel important and valued and that they matter. And soon enough, they have them and they're being deceived. So I think the question is, then how do we know? What, what are we to be aware of? How do we know if a person is a deceiver? How do you know if I am not trying to deceive you now? And John's going to lay out several things for us. Look at the first one. I would call this, they run from fellowship. Look at verse 19. False teachers came into the church. He says, they went out from us. So it's either this, it's either they came to the church where, where John is writing and went out from there, or they were in Jerusalem where the apostles originally were, and they went out from Jerusalem. Either way, he says, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. That it might be, become plain that they are not one of us. So some were either with the apostles in Jerusalem and they went out from there or they have come to these churches that John is writing to. But the point is that they leave. So I think evidence of a false teacher is they eventually will not stick around. And the reason is this, is because false teachers, counterfeits, they hate to be exposed. But let me clarify something. John isn't necessarily talking about pastors that might leave one church and God calls them to a, another church. Might talk about people going and church, uh, planting churches. That's not what John is talking about. Can that happen? Absolutely. But that's not necessarily what is happening. John is showing that false teachers, they do not want to be exposed. And once they are, when that time is approaching, they will look for a way out. Because the scripture tells us that darkness does not like to be in the light. But here's another clarification. It doesn't mean a teacher, a, a pastor, a Bible study leader, a small group, group leader. It doesn't mean that they can't be in error. Because that can also happen. But here's what a true follower, a believer will do. They say something that isn't true. Hopefully it's brought to their attention. They're going to pray about it. They're going to examine the scriptures. They're going to seek counsel. And if they're wrong, they're going to admit it. Now, once you know, that's what's another beautiful thing about the structure that we have at Bethel. This is not me just standing up and hoping I get this right. For one, 
all the teaching pastors, we get together every Tuesday. We walk through the passage. We talk through the difficult times. Clint and I will sit around and bounce ideas. Hey, what do you think about this? Have you read anything on this? We've got elders here that are listening each and every week. And I promise you, if there was something that did not line up with the counsel of Scripture, they would call me on it. So the mark of a believer, I think in this, as John is saying, if you're a believer, there is a desire to be around and to be with God's people, even when it's hard. False teachers, that is not going to happen. They are going to run from true fellowship. And once you see over the last five years, I've seen it over and over again in churches. Some massive mega churches. False teacher gets exposed and it isn't long that they leave. So mark of what do we need to be watching for is do they run from fellowship? But here's the second one. They do not have the Holy Spirit, because look at verse 20 and 21. He's going to use a contrast here, and he says, but you, talking to the believers in the church, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So it says to you believers, he says, you have been anointed by the Holy One. And this word anointed, it goes back to the Old Testament. Oftentimes, you would see this. It would signify kind of a, a setting apart, a, a, a consecrating of someone or even an object for a particular purpose. You see it in Exodus 29, 30, and 40. And typically, it was usually done with oil. Well, later on in Scripture, it was used to signify the Spirit of God kind of coming upon someone. We see it in David in 1 Samuel 16. We see it in Isaiah 61 where the Spirit came upon them and they were anointed. You see it in Acts 10 where Peter says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. So what John is doing, he's describing the gift of the Holy Spirit that happens to believers when they trust in Jesus Christ. So a true believer, John says, they are given the Holy Spirit. So I said from the beginning, we're going to walk through many, many doctrines of the church. So here's just some quick things about the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, that the Spirit was sent by Jesus after his death and resurrection to be our help. And this anointing, the gift of the Holy Spirit, happens to anyone who truly believes. And you don't have to go seeking it. It's an anointing. And if you're a believer, you already have it. You don't have to get a second portion or a second blessing from the Holy Spirit. When you become a believer, you have all of him that you will ever have. The Holy Spirit, Scripture says, is here to guide us, to lead us. It even is there to convict us. And the Spirit teaches us. That's why I often pray that the Spirit would take this time together in God's Word and He would teach us. In fact, according to Ephesians 4, we can even grieve the Spirit. But notice what John says. He says, you have this anointing, you have this gift of the Holy Spirit, and you all have knowledge. That all true believers, they have a knowledge. Now, it doesn't mean that we have all knowledge, but we have what we need in order to to believe. So false teachers, 
They have never experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And they do not have this. But here's what's hard. Sometimes you can't tell. Because they're good at what they do. The false teachers are going to run from true fellowship. And they do not have the Holy Spirit. And look at the third evidence. They will deny the truth about Jesus. Because look at the next two verses. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. You need to underline that. We're going to talk about that. It is important. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So the most important question you could ever ask or you could ever answer for yourself is this. Who is Jesus? There's not a more important question in life other than that is who is Jesus? I think this is a question every believer should be able to answer if they were ever asked from someone. So some will say, man, he was a good man, a great man, very moral Man, somebody we should follow. He was an incredible teacher. He could tell stories like you wouldn't believe. And Satan would be perfectly content with you believing that. He'd be perfectly content with anyone believing those things. Because notice what John does when he says they deny that Jesus, and he adds something, that Jesus is the Christ. This word means Messiah. Meaning Jesus is God in human flesh. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God in human flesh. The second member of the Trinity. Scripture says that Jesus is the only way to salvation and forgiveness. And I know in nowadays that is not a popular view. But it's true. There's only one way to God and it's through Jesus Christ. In fact, God didn't even have to do that. But he did. In fact, John has earlier said in John 14 that Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So who is Jesus? The Christ, the Messiah, that he is God in human flesh. And this is why this is so important. Because think about it. If Jesus, he was only God, and we saw that in the Gnostics. They believed that, that Jesus, he was only God. He wasn't human. But if that's true, then he would not have been able to pay to die in a place of sinful human beings. He could not pay the price for your salvation because he could not fully represent you or me. And there's no way that he could relate to us if he is only God. But what if he's only a man? If Jesus is only a man, meaning his death, it would have absolutely no eternal benefit. He would have simply been a great moral man, an excellent teacher that died, and he would still be dead today. So false teachers, they're going to run from true fellowship. They do not have the Holy Spirit, and they deny the truth about Jesus. So then John is going to call these uh, people in these churches to something. Because look at verse 24 and 25. He says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in 
the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us. Eternal life. He says, let what you have heard from the beginning. And I think John is hinting at something here. I think he is saying, beware of new thoughts. Beware of something that someone else seems to discover that no one else in history has. To beware of them. So John says, go back to the beginning. Go back to what Jesus taught. Go back to what he said. Go back to what the early church believed. And that's one of the questions I always am trying to ask. Is this truth I'm looking at, has this been true all the way from the beginning? And if not, something is wrong. And he says, let that truth from the beginning abide in you. That word abide, it means to first of all accept the truth. That comes from the teaching of the Holy Spirit. It means to interact with it. Know what it's like. Then let it lead you. Guide you. Control your thoughts. And your thinking and your actions. Let your life then flow out of that truth. And then John gives the final test. It comes in verse 26. It says, I write these things to you. About those who are trying to deceive you. He says a false teacher has one goal and one goal only. It's not to be your friend. It's not to be liked. It's not for you to accept them. Even though they want all of that. Their only goal is to deceive you. And this was true in John's day. And it's even true today. I'm in danger of this. You are in danger of this and our children and grandchildren. Everyone is always in danger of being deceived. And if we think we're beyond that, Satan has us exactly where he wants us. So false teachers, he says, no, they're going to run from true fellowship. They do not have the Holy Spirit. They will deny the truth about Jesus and they're only out to deceive you. But John ends, but there's hope. The last verse. But the anointing, the gifting of the Holy Spirit that you received from him, it abides in you. Not only do you need to abide in it, it abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything that is true and is no lie, just as it was taught to you, abide in him. So this is believers, you have been anointed, you've been gifted, you have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit that is there to guide and convict and to teach and to control and to protect from being deceived. And John says the Holy Spirit is there. But notice he does say something a little interesting. He says, you have no need that anyone should teach you. It doesn't mean that we know everything there is to know because we know the value of teachers. But you have everything that you need to believe in Jesus Christ. So one last time, John says, abide in him. So the question I've been kind of rolling around in my mind all week is how is this helpful? Because I realize a lot of this is really speaking to the choir. I mean, you're faithful, you're here almost each and every week. You're serving in a lot of different ways. But are there really false teachers even today? 
Or is this just something that was happening back in the first century church? Do we really need to be aware of false teachers even today? Because a false teacher is anyone. Anyone that denies Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Anyone that teaches that is a false teacher. So then that got me to thinking. Do you remember a man named Joseph Smith? Early to the mid-1800s. Supposedly visited by an angel from heaven. I mean, how do you argue with that? Named Moroni. Then I begin to question. Who dropped some golden tablets. And guess what? With new scripture. At the age of 24, he wrote the Book of Mormon. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has now over 15 million people denying the truth of Jesus. Or if you're my age or a little bit older, you'll remember the late 70s, a guy named Jim Jones started out in an evangelical church. He then started what was called the People's Temple. Moves to Guyana in South America where he created a commune. And in the end, 800 people plus children were deceived and they die by committing suicide underneath his leadership. Or even more recently, a man named Vernon Howell claimed to be a born-again Christian was raised in a Southern Baptist church. In 1981, he moved to Waco, joined the Branch Davidians. In 1990, he legally changed his name to David for King David and Koresh, the biblical name for Cyrus the Great. And he claimed to be the final prophet. So false teaching of false prophets, they still are a real threat. But sometimes it might come in things like this. We'll hear like a works-based salvation, a social justice gospel, a new age gospel, or the one that is running rampant today, the prosperity gospel. So what do we do to not be deceived? We take John's word, and here's the first thing. Stay in true biblical community. Because when you're saved, when you're a believer, there should be this desire to be around God's people even when it's hard. And I want you to know Satan wants to do everything he can to destroy that. You know what will be the first things that he will want to do? He will want to isolate you. He'll want you to think about things, man, I'm just too busy. Man, you know what, I've tried this and it doesn't really work. Man, it's just too hard. I've got so many other things I would rather be doing. And he wants to do everything he can to pull you out of true biblical community. Because when that happens, he has you isolated. And when you are isolated, you are most vulnerable to fall into a false teaching. So true biblical community is a defense against being deceived. But don't be deceived in this way either. It isn't enough just to go and sit in a Bible study or to come to a women's or a men's meeting during the week or to even go to a life group. You have to be willing to be open and honest about where you are and what you're going through. Because he would be perfectly fine with you sitting somewhere and still feeling isolated. So one of the defenses is true biblical community. Here's the second one. 
Get to know the truth so you can better spot the counterfeit. He is a master of disguise. And he can take any lie and bring it so close to the truth that we will take it hook, line, and sinker. And so that's one of the reasons we've purchased these books. It came actually free in the material we got. Marla started reading, and we've been going through this for several weeks, and we've tried a lot of resources. And I'm telling you, this is one of the best. And parents, I want you to know, it is challenging. It is going to take you to wrestle with some truth and think about, how do I instill this in my children? It's got some incredible uh, illustrations. In fact, we did one the other night, and my kids were like, what would you just do? It's simple, but it is so grounded in the truth. In fact, we're reading it one morning and we kind of break it up. We'll do a little bit before school and then typically we'll do a little bit more or finish it um, at supper that night. Man, Marla's reading one of them one morning, just reading it, and she was brought to tears because she was so moved at the truth that was being taught. So get to know the truth. And then the last one, rely on the Holy Spirit that you have an incredible resource that is in you that is greater than any power in this world. Ask the Holy Spirit, cry out to teach and to guide and to protect us from all of us being deceived. So church, hear me this morning. Stay connected and fight when it's even hard and it's difficult. Don't run from fellowship. Go deeper and deeper into it. Then get to know the truth. In all kinds of ways, there's so many resources at our disposal. There's no reason why we should not know the truth. And the rely, or as John would say, abide in the Holy Spirit as it abides in you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.